Okay, I'm going to get to the little picture in just a second. Uh, I want to read you a quote. Um, Roy Ortland in his uh, commentary on the Proverbs. He said, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. That's Proverbs 1.20. The wisdom of God does not stand aloof as if she were too good for us. She graciously moves toward us into our real world where we live and struggle day by day. She offers us her very best, if only we will listen, with the overwhelming flood of information and opinion in our times. Much of it a mixture of spin, sound bites, and trivialities. It is a relief to turn back to the Bible. It's a relief to slow down and pay close attention to deep insights that have stood the test of time. I just like that. Because if we think about the Old Testament, God spoke to us through the, through the, the law. He, through the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, he gave us the law. He spoke to us through the prophets. He spoke to us through the, the stories, the narratives. Uh, he spoke to us uh, now through the poets. And in Proverbs, it's like it's that extra little nudge that we needed. Uh, in Louisiana, we call it lanyard. It's just a little something extra. And in the Proverbs, he gives us that little something extra that says this gets it back to common sense. This the, the law, you may understand it or you may not. You may agree with it, you may not. The prophets, almost certainly, there's a lot of it that we don't understand. But boy, when you get the Proverbs, it's the book of common sense. And in my study this week, one of the most um, eye-opening things for me was how important the structure of the book is. And that's uh, what I'm going to promise you tonight that I don't have time to do on Sunday, is that I need to talk a little bit about the structure of the book. On Sunday, I'm going to spend most of my time in Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 9, and we'll get there tonight, but I want to talk just for a few minutes about the way that uh, Proverbs is set up, and especially the structure. So if you want to write in your Bible, the name of the book means comparison. The word Proverbs uh, literally means comparison, and it's kind of any type of moralistic judgment or or and, and in proverbs we get a whole lot of the, the way of the righteous versus the way of the wicked and so it makes sense that the name of the book is comparison now does anybody in your study bible show when proverbs was written that's quite a span so over 250 years Mine says most likely at the start of his reign. So basically, all we know is that it spans Solomon to Hezekiah. 
That, that's pretty much all we know. Hezekiah's reign started in about 686 BC. And so it's safe to say that Solomon was probably around 958 BC. And so between 950 and 700, that's a pretty safe guess. I think that uh, Solomon wrote almost all of uh, Proverbs with the exception of a few of them that uh, were written during Hezekiah's time or just before Hezekiah's time. And there's some clues in the context that give that away. But uh, uh, my, my author's word is Solomon and others. <laughs> and uh, just to go ahead and bury the lead, I think Solomon wrote chapter 31. Um, I think he wrote both 30 and 31. I think the, the, the name that's given there was either a pet name or a nickname or uh, maybe just um, he was hiding his authorship. But I, I think it's, it's really interesting the way the Psalms, the Proverbs is set up because it starts off with instructions from a father to a son and then it ends with instructions from a mother to a son. And so I, that's why I think that that Solomon is the, uh, the author quoting his mother Bathsheba um, with the, the words at the end of the, the Proverbs. But we'll get there in just a minute. That was, that was 30, 30, 31. 30 and 31. A lot of people read Proverbs um, one a day. Uh, it, it's their one of their daily readings. They just they just seek the wisdom of the Bible by reading a proverb that corresponds with the day of the month. And um, so they start over every month. And um, in the months that don't have 31 days, they don't do chapter 31 or they skip 30. I don't know. Okay. So there are a lot of authors. First Kings 4 tells us that Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and over a thousand songs. We don't know anything about Agur, who's the author of Proverbs 30, but Lemuel, who is uh, the author of Proverbs 31, that's the one I think is Solomon. Wait a minute. You said, I thought you said Solomon wrote 30. 31. 31. Agur wrote 30. We don't know who he is. He he might be Solomon as well, but I am not uh, confident enough in that to uh, to make that statement. All right, so Proverbs is uh, sort of the the common sense voice of God. It's so very cool. Now, keep in mind where we are in our series. We're looking at the wisdom books of the Bible, five of them, that are poetry, that are um, that 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 are, are, are a little different. Like once we get to Proverbs chapter ten, it's like there's there's no two verses that really go together, except for a few sections that talk about speech or fidelity or integrity. But by and large, most of chapter ten. Uh, and following all the way through about 29, it's just these random proverbs that uh, one-liners, two-liners. And so it's like it's this collection of, of 
I don't know, today we might call them memes. <laughs> they're just they're they're just poster material, one-liners, bumper sticker kind of things. And uh and so the the structure uh becomes very, very interesting. Um but I don't I don't want any of us ever to forget that all of the books of the Bible point to Jesus. Now, even Proverbs, this, this book of wisdom that has all these random sayings. Again, I read Roy Orland's perspective. He says the book of Proverbs is a gospel book because it's part of the Bible. That means that the book of Proverbs is good news for bad people. It's about grace for sinners, hope for failures, wisdom for idiots. <laughs> the book is Jesus himself coming to us as our counselor, our sage, our life coach. The Lord Jesus Christ is a competent thinker for all times and all cultures. He's a genius, and he freely offers us, even us, his unique wisdom. Do you remember how he concluded the Sermon on the Mount? Everyone who hears these <clears throat> words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine <clears throat> and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. That could almost summarize the book of Proverbs. Just those two statements. The wise man builds his house on the rock. The foolish <clears throat> man builds his house on the sand. There's your comparison. There's your proverb. So get into the Proverbs. And the overall theme is that wisdom is contrasted to foolishness. The, the Proverbs calls it folly. And so the, the structure of the book is, is fascinating. And, and I would point your attention to your cartoon drawing for just a second. If any of you printed this out or are looking at it. Um, if you look at the box on the far left of the drawing over here, he talks about an introduction of Proverbs and he has two major sections. 10 speeches from a father to a son and four poems of Lady Wisdom. So if you look at this, the, the introduction to Psalm, uh, to Proverbs, I keep calling it Psalm, sorry. Uh, Proverbs section one is chapters one through nine. So the, the first unit of three is chapters one through nine. And here we have the 10 speeches from a father to a son, and he doesn't hide them. He, he says things like in verse eight, hear my son. In verse one of chapter two, my son. Verse one, chapter three, my son. Verse 11, my son. You, you, you see that over and over. There are, there are 10 speeches from a father to a son, and they are what you would expect from a father to a son. They're a, a combination of don't do what I did. I want the best for you. Somebody once said, uh, wisdom is gained 
wisdom and good decisions come from experience and experience is gained from bad decisions. Good decisions are gained from experience and experience is gained from bad decisions. And so the father is, is trial and error. He's, he's trying to say these, these are some things you need. And, and if you look at, at some of the instructions that are there, um, he, he, you get it. Um, verse 11, chapter 1, if they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. He's saying, your, your friends are idiots. If they say to you, hey, what would happen if we did this? Here, hold my beer. You, it's, it's not going to end well. And so he says, if they say, let us, let us ambush the innocent. Um, he, he said, those will go to the pit. Um, verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of the possessors. Now, do you, do you see the, the break between verse uh, 19 of chapter 1 and verse 20? Now we meet Lady Wisdom. One writer said, in this book, we will meet Lady Wisdom and Dame Folly. <laughs> and they personify them both. The writer gives both of them a personality. Um, by the way, the word wisdom in Hebrew is a feminine word. It's, a, it's a, like in Spanish. When a word ends in A, it's a feminine form of the verb. Wisdom is a feminine form of the noun in Hebrew. And so Lady Wisdom's first poem is in chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. So we picture Lady Wisdom in the streets trying to get people's attention. And she says in verse 22, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? And that's a bit of a theme, too. Chapter 9 is the bookend for the first section of Proverbs. And in that chapter, she speaks to the simple as well. And it's not derogatory. It, it's, it's common people. It's, hey, everybody, I'm not talking to the royalty. I'm not talking to, to the, the rich people. I'm, I'm talking to everyone. How, how long will you love being simple? How long will you love being influenced by whatever wind blows? Uh, how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? How long will fools take hate knowledge? If you turn at my warning, my reproof, I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you. That's the uh, young man sitting in the jail cell saying I should have listened. <laughs> I, I, I wish I'd have listened to my mom. I wish I'd have listened to my dad. And so Lady Wisdom uh, speaks all through chapter the rest of chapter one. And then in chapter two, we have another speech from the father to the son. And so that pattern pretty much repeats itself all the way through the first section of the book, which is chapters one through nine. So then in, I'm going to come back to chapter nine in just a minute, but, but let me 
go ahead and sort of do the overview of the book. If you look at chapter 10 and go all the way through 29, it's hundreds of ancient proverbs and only a very few have a theme. Only a very few of these proverbs are actually grouped together um, and, and a lot of times uh, four verses will be together or two verses will be together, but it's unusual for there to be uh, a long uh, form of that. One of the exceptions would be in chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. The rest of that chapter talks about speech and words. What chapter was that? Chapter 12, verse 17. Well, actually, the whole chapter. Um, he starts in chapter 12, verse 6, with the words of the wicked. But then in chapter 12, verse 17, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence. So in, in, in even in these uh, randomly grouped chapters, you will usually find the contrast. You'll usually find the comparison between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. So verse 6, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. Whoever speaks the truth, verse 17, gives honest evidence. But then he amplifies that in 18, 19, 20, um, 22, lying lips, 23, a prudent man conceals knowledge but the heart of the fool proclaims folly. So there's a theme of the words that you use, the speech that you utter, and that is not that common in Proverbs. So whenever there's a, a group of, uh, of verses, then uh, you, you see that that was something that was really important to the writer. And he does come back, uh, chapter 15, chapter 16. Those both talk about words again, speech. And so uh, the speech was a, a really important theme for him. Now, if you look at an outline of Proverbs, there's almost any topic you want to cover. Just if, if you were to, to do a little word search, Hey, I want to know about adultery. It's in there. I want to know about greed. It's in there. I want to know about uh, lying. It's in there. Integrity. It's in there. And and so the 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 way that it's organized is that uh, verses chapter ten through fifteen is sort of like a contrast of righteous and wicked lives. Chapter sixteen through twenty two. Those are more positive. They encourage living a godly life. Um, Proverbs um, 22 and 23, just talk about random practices. And then chapters 24, uh, that talks about people. And then uh, the Proverbs that were uh, attributed to Hezekiah's men are 25 through 29 or 28 or 29 and then Agur chapter 30 and Lemuel I believe Solomon chapter 31 
So that's the big picture. Let's go back for a minute and dive into each of those sections and look at some of the, the highlights, if that's okay. Any questions so far? Have I just completely run you in circles? Who's the Again, other lady? Who was the other lady besides Lady Wisdom? Dame Folly. Dame Folly. Like or Dame Foolishness. Lady Wisdom and Dame Foolishness. These are two ladies that are going to bicker throughout the book. I always thought that the Proverbs in my structure was stay away from, uh, uh, I guess, Dame Folly and keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Well, and, and keep your feet on the right path and keep your ears from hearing things you, I mean, it's, they, they are, they're very common sense problems, but the way that the poet expresses them uh, is pretty incredible. Okay, um, let's go back to chapter one and look at the first seven verses. There are two verses that I, I kind of want you to uh, make sure that you highlight. One is chapter 1, verse 7, and the other is chapter 9, verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 9, verse 10. The first seven verses introduce the entire 31 chapters of Proverbs. And this, of course, as a, as a student of the Bible, it makes me wonder if this was the last thing that was written. You know, in, in, in several of the books of the Bible, we know that, that something that appears early was written late because it describes somebody's death or it comes from a later period. Uh, sometimes it blows our mind to think that the that Paul's letters in the New Testament were written long before the Gospels were. Because in our Bible, the Gospels are in the first part, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And then we got Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Well, the except for the Gospel of John, uh, all of them were, 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 the letters were written, the Gospel of John was the latest one written. And the Gospel of John was probably right before the Revelation. And so you're talking 80 or 90 AD when those things were written compared to the letters of Paul that were written somewhere in the 50s and 60s and then the Gospels probably written late 60s on through the 70s. So when we get to something that summarizes everything that took place over 250 years, we kind of think maybe this was added at the beginning to give the reader a preview of what they're about to see. That makes sense? So, so I think the first seven verses were probably inserted by the editor. Whoever, whoever was pulling all the Proverbs together, all the things that Solomon wrote, all the things that Hezekiah's men wrote, all the things that these other people wrote, 
It felt like there needed to be a lead-in. There needed to be a prologue or a, or a preface. And so the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And then you get now the sense of where he's going. He says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the simple. Normal people, not, not intellectually challenged people, just normal people like us. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, father to the son. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In every Bible I have, I write the, the first of it. When I get a new Bible, I write on the cover, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This book unlocks that wisdom. Because I don't ever want to forget that fear, reverence, awe, not terror or, or afraid he's going to hurt us, but, but a healthy view of who God is and that his story is revealed in the scripture that tells me that's my path to wisdom. When I introduced the series, I told you about Brett McCracken's book, The Wisdom Pyramid, and how he talks about how many places we get information these days. We get information, and he, he built a food pyramid. And just like at the bottom of the pyramid are the things that your body absolutely needs. And as the pyramid works its way up to to suggest quantity uh, getting smaller as the non-necessities get higher. He says the scripture is the bottom of the pyramid and you work your way up to the other sources of information that we get, social media being at the very top. And I would question whether it needs to be on there at all. <laughs> but but he says there, there are things that are valuable that we, we learn from Twitter and Instagram and our Facebook feeds and things like that. There, there is some value in it, but, but nothing to compare with the bottom of the pyramid, the word of God. And so when we look at the purpose of the whole book, the purpose of the book is that we are able to gain wisdom through the words of the Lord. And so he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He says the same thing over in chapter 9, verse 10. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So I want to come back to that in, as, in a minute when we close, but, but, but the, the book starts with the idea that, that we're about to go on a journey. And there's going to be some instruction that we're given. And just to keep it spicy, I'm going to give you some speeches from the dad. I'm going to give you some speeches from Lady Wisdom. We're going to compare her to Dame Foolishness. 
And then I'm going to end with some instructions from the mother to the son. So chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 9, verse 10 are the bookends of the first section. And if you were to try to pin me down as to what is the key verse in all of Proverbs, I would tell you it's chapter 9, verse 10. It's the close of the first unit. So the first section of Proverbs, the father and son, uh, it's in the diagram that I that I gave you. You see the, uh, were all of you online able to get this if you wanted it? If you click the chat button at the bottom of the screen, uh, you'll find a link to it. And you can print from that link or you can just pull it up on another screen if you want to. But he says this first section, an introduction to Proverbs, he talks about wisdom, uh, the author of the Proverbs of Solomon. The fear of the Lord is reverence and awe. It's a, a mindset that he is holy, that we are not. We are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It, it's something that only he does. Reverence and awe is our response. Then there are speeches from a father to a son that talk about moral logic. And then there are four poems of Lady Wisdom, and they are in chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 8, and chapter 9. Uh, you see that in the, the, the block up there. And then uh, at the very bottom, it reminds us that Proverbs is not good advice. Proverbs is God's invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations. So that's the first unit. And in that unit, we have two of the four poems. One, the, the first two, three chapters, we have two of the four poems of Lady Wisdom. And then chapter eight and chapter nine are the other two. All right. So just scanning through the first nine chapters. Uh, anybody have anything highlighted in chapter three? <laughs> anybody highlight my life verse in chapter three, verses five and six? Yeah, I think that's highlighted in most of our Bibles. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Again, that's the way of wisdom. Trust in the Lord. That's the way of wisdom. Um, verse 11 in chapter 3, my son, we, we have another speech. Do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. What does the New Testament say? The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And so we we can draw a lot of connections. Jesus was very familiar with the Proverbs. And all of the New Testament writers, with the possible exception of Luke, uh, and I would guess even Luke would have been pretty familiar with the Proverbs. The only reason I say Luke is that he was a Gentile. He would not have gone to Torah school when he was young. Um, but he was educated. So Lady Wisdom speaks again in chapter uh, 3, verse 13. 
Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver. Her profit is better than gold. Wisdom is to be desired more than gold or fine silver. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Is that a song here? It's in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then verse 21, he switches back to the speech from the father. My son, do not lose sight of me. So it's quite possible that the father was quoting Lady Wisdom. Just the way that the poem is set up, we go back and forth between a father giving instruction to a son and Lady Wisdom giving instruction to uh, all of the readers. Now, chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7, they set us up for chapter 9. All right? So just if you want to keep a, a bookmark in chapter 5, 6, and 7, then uh, and that sets us up for chapter 9. Particularly, uh, the speech from the Father to the Son, be attentive to my, my wisdom, and like any father would say to his son, stay away from the bad girls. Just don't, don't mess with the bad girls. And uh, he, he, he gives a little bit of a, uh, a cryptic because this is, I guess, rated PG and only if you read between the lines do you understand what he's saying. Verse 15, he says, drink water from your own sister. I think in the other proverb it says, or Samson said something about plowing with your own heifer. <laughs> the monogamy, stay with your bride, should your springs be scattered abroad, and the sexual reference there is intended, let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers. Let your fountain be blessed. And I'm not going to read the rest, but you get the idea. And so the, the sexual purity is kind of in chapter five, and the the father says, I get it. It's hard to be a young man, and it's certainly hard to be faithful to one wife. In that culture, probably even more so. But, well, I don't know. I look around me, I, apparently it's pretty hard in our culture. But he says, um, guard your heart, protect your eyes. Um, verse three in chapter five for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, her speech is smoother than oil. So keep in mind that lady that is dame foolishness. Okay, we're, we're introduced to dame foolishness. Uh, as a forbidden woman, a prostitute, a, a wayward woman, the, the writer of Proverbs is not pulling punches. Um, chapter 6, we get the, the seven deadly sins in verse 16 uh, through 19. They've changed over the, the years. There are six things that the Lord hates. 
seven that are an abomination to him. What's the writer doing? He's saying, this is the way of Dame Foolishness. That haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wickedness, feet that run to evil, false witness, one who sows discord. He says, this is the fruit of the unwise life. This is the fruit of the foolishness. And so we get that all through Proverbs, but every now and then I just want to stop and, and sort of point out the obvious. All right. If it's okay with you, let's go all the way over to chapter 9. And, um, and I want to point out some things about chapter 9 because that's the end of the first section. We could go through chapters 10 through 29 and find all kinds of things, but I'd like to do chapter 9 and then end with chapter 31. All right? If you got questions, save them up or email me. Starts off chapter 9 by saying, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn seven pillars. And there are people that make a big deal about the number seven. And basically, wisdom has built the house because she's about to have a party. We're all invited to the party at Lady Wisdom's house. She's slaughtered her beast. She's mixed her wine. I don't know exactly what that means unless it means she's watered it down a little bit or maybe put some spice in it. I don't know. She's getting ready for the party. She set her table. She sent out the young women to call from the highest places in town. Now, Nancy, that's one of those things that some people read this and they equate that to evangelism. That wisdom has sent out the evangelist to tell the story. It's not wrong, but it's probably a little bit of a stretch. So then she says, verse 4, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Again, it's not derogatory. It's just this party's for everyone. To him who lacks sense, though there are some that are simple. She says, come eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. So now it's revealed to us what a simple person is. It's one who is not ascribed to the way of wisdom. In our uh, view, it would be a person who's lost, who doesn't, who doesn't know of Christ as Savior. They're not saying they're stupid. Just because they're lost, they're not stupid. And, and, and simple is not derogatory. It says you just, you just don't know better. You, you haven't learned the way of wisdom. She says, come on in and eat of the bread that I have for you. Leave your simple ways. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused. Whoever reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Sometimes it's hard to rebuke wicked people. Whenever we take a stand, uh, especially with former friends or colleagues, when, when the Lord has gotten a hold of us on a particular issue or maybe changed our lives altogether, 
I heard Taylor's testimony about leaving professional basketball. It's, it's not always easy to say to people, I'm leaving because they interpret that as you are judging us. You're telling us that we're wrong. You're better than us. And so Lady Wisdom says, hey, get ready for it. When you begin to walk the way of the wise, you will incur injury. Do not reprove a scoffer. Don't waste your words. He will hate you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. And then the, the signature verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Look at verse 13. Here is Dame Folly. Dame Foolishness. The woman folly is loud. <laughs> you know her at a party, don't you? Look back in chapter 7, verse 10. Just go back a couple of... Uh, no doubt. I'm just. I, I'm just. You know, just, just, just remember how we beat up men on Father's Day and honor women on Mother's Day. Turn about as fearful. Chapter seven, verse ten. Behold, the woman meets him. She's dressed as a prostitute. She's wily of heart. She's loud. She's wayward. So we've already been introduced to this lady. We, we, we already have met Dame Father. And chapter 7, the description is, is very similar to what we see in chapter 9. So 9 is kind of a summary of the first 9 chapters. First 8 chapters. So he says, she is seductive and she knows nothing. Now, there's a play on words in verse 13. Does everybody's Bible have the word seductive? Unruly. She is, that's in verse, uh, second line in verse 13, she is seductive. Simple. Simple. The word simple is the word play. Uh, what translation is that? Um, NIV. Yeah. And the, the word simple is, it's a fair translation of the word, and it would be a role play, and it would be a, a word play, right? Mm -hmm. When when the dame uh, Follies is simple herself, she needs to go into the house of Lady Wisdom and learn the way of wisdom. Come, you who are simple. And so there's a little bit of a play on words there, so it could be translated either seduction or simple. So she sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest place in town. Side trip, tangent, don't write any of this down. I just found it fascinating because I am an academic geek. Hardly anybody in the first century owned a chair. Common people sat on benches or stools or they had a pillow to sit on the floor. Common folks didn't have chairs. And, and as that, even into the, uh, the Renaissance period, into the, 
the, to the uh, Middle Ages in Europe, if there was a ballroom with a dance going on, there'd be one chair in the whole room. And only the nobleman would sit in. Only the king would sit in. There'd be no other furniture. There'd be no other chairs. And where I geeked out about this is that that tradition carried over into academics. So that when a professor earned his tenure, he was given a chair to sit in and teach. And that's why today we have the chair of such and such or the chair of such and such. It, it, it's carried over into academics because the teacher got a chair. And now we say he's the chair of the department or he's the chair of the division. That was the same thing in municipalities. Right. And so it, it just, I geeked out a little bit because uh, all of a sudden we get Dame Foolishness and she somehow found herself a chair. And she had put herself in it and she's, she's saying, I'm above everybody else. I'm the teacher. I'm the nobleman. I'm smart. When it just described her as simple. All right. And at my simple, and she knows nothing. And she knows nothing. But she's got a chair somewhere, somehow. And she sits at the highest point. And she sits at the highest point. All right. So then, then she says, I'm so confused. She's having a party, but then she goes down to advise us. I mean, right? I mean, Dame, is the party over? No, Dame Wisdom is having a. I mean, Lady Wisdom is having a party at her house. Okay, but then we get all this. No, Dame Polly will have a party in her house. Oh, that break between six and seven was huge. Well, the she. This is what she's telling the, the people to come to her party. So when I have a party, then with all this wine, yeah, give you all this advice. Is, you give them all instruction. The break is between twelve and thirteen. So compare. Uh, he's right. It's right there. That's what I said. Four, five. I mean, this is like in nine four. Let all who are simple come to my house. Okay. Compare verse four. With verse 16. Come to my house. No, come to my house. No, come to my house. And Lady Wisdom has sent her maidens out to tell people to come, but Dame Foolishness sits at the high place in her chair and she shouts to people, Come to my house. Okay. And she imitates what Lady Wisdom is saying. How profound is that? Wow. That most of the foolishness of the world imitates wisdom. It, it tries to copy most of the false gospel. It's, it's, it's not that it leaves Jesus out. It's just that it makes him into something that the scripture never describes. And so it's it's, it's imitation. It's, it's not direct opposition. It's imitation. And look at verse 17. 
Stolen water is sweet, she says. Where have I heard that before? Yeah. Where have I heard that bit about drink your own water from your own sister? Seems like I heard about that back in chapter 5, verse 15. <laughs> Stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is, is pleasant. What's that talking about? Sin. The secret things. What, what, what do we want to keep more secret than sin? But, and now an editorial comment. So, so Dame Foolishness spoke through verse 15 through uh, 17, but then the Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, uh, inserts an editorial comment, but he, the person who is simple, who turns into her house, does not know that the dead are there. That's that. That's Egypt after the Passover fancy. The stench of death is there. The her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So I, it's it's just to me extremely fascinating how this is all set up. That we I used to read the proverbs and go, okay, it's just these these kitschy cliches all the way through. But when we say, okay, the first nine chapters, that's a unit. Then chapters 10 through 29, that's another unit. And then chapters 30 and 31 are sort of freestanding. They each address something different. The first nine chapters are 10 speeches by a father to a son, four poems from Lady Wisdom, all contrasting the way of foolishness and the way of righteousness. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding because without the Lord's wisdom, you're simple. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Now you think about all the topics. Adultery, greed, lust, the six deadly sins that are in chapter six. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will keep you on the path of wisdom. The book ends, chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We, we get that trust in the Lord with all your heart involves the fear of the Lord, the awe, the reverence, the understanding that he's God, I'm not. One person said, all the omnis. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. That that that's that's who we fear, not in terror, but in absolute awe that he would even love us. All right, chapter thirty is a one-off. It's a uh, a description of wisdom from somebody named Edgar. We don't know who that is. Uh, we uh, we don't really know 
uh, who he is. One writer said that in summary of everything we've done in chapters 1 through 29, Agur is sort of a model reader who says, I'm going to read it and I'm going to embrace it. And so he may or may not be uh, a real person because he says stuff like verse 2, surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I don't have the understanding of a man. There you go, Nancy. We're picking on the man for a second. Yay! I'm too stupid to even be a man. And that's a low bar. <laughs> equal time, equal opportunity. Verse 5, he said, every word of God proves true. Verse 6, do not add to his words. Verse 8 is a prayer. Remove me from falsehood. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that I need. Let me be, lest I be full and deny you. That, that almost copies Jeremiah's prayer that sounded very much like that. Then in verse chapter 31, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So the words of the father are bookended by the words of the mother. And the mother tells the son a story of the kind of woman that she wants him to marry. Now, the irony here should not be lost on any of us. What kind of woman did Solomon marry? Which time? <laughs> All she needed was the right chromosome pattern. That's that's all he seemed to care about. Because he married them by the dozens. And it's almost like in reflection, he's saying, I should have listened to my mom. Because all of the trouble that Solomon got in was because of his wife. Because he made foolish choice okay. as a stupid man. How are we doing? It's a tough crowd in here. If you're online, just pray for me. Back me up here. They're, they're abusing me. Oh, no. I won't be backing you up. Well, he's not going to bail me out. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. So what I want to say just as we close the Proverbs 31 woman does not exist. Okay? Too many women have read this and said, I want to be like that. There's a woman like that, and she's the ideal. She's what every man wants. If I could only be like that, I could get a husband. I could keep a husband. And it's it's just a, a complete abuse of the Scripture. Because this never intends to tell us that you have to be like this woman to have value. It's a mother talking to her son, and no woman's going to be good enough for her son. And she's saying, this is what I hope you will look for. And so the, the Proverbs 31 woman is an imaginary wife. Interestingly, it's an alphabet poem. You remember when I said Psalm 119 was an acrostic psalm or an alphabet psalm? This is an alphabet poem. 
the the verses uh, correspond with letters in the Hebrew alphabet. But here's here's my guess and conclusion, and and this is my takeaway from Proverbs. I wonder if Bathsheba is looking back at her life and all the experiences that she had. That she had. Perhaps going all the way back to when she married Uriah the Hittite. Did, did she marry the, the right kind of person? I don't know. I, I, we know nothing about it except that he was killed in battle at David's command. But then when she was trafficked into the palace and sexually abused by the king of Israel. When that turned into a marriage that turned into a friendship, that turned into her being the only one David would listen to at the end of his life. Maybe she's reflecting on her life experiences and she's turning them into Proverbs. She's turning them into advice for her son. I don't know if she's projecting. I don't know if she's reflecting. All I know is that she is describing the kind of woman that she hopes her son might marry if you had it to do over again. And, and maybe the son is capturing those things in his reflections. He starts off the section by saying, this is an oracle that my mom said. And maybe he's sort of retroactively applying the Proverbs and saying, too often I chose the path of dame foolishness. And I could have been walking the way of lazy wisdom. So that's what Proverbs is about. On Sunday, we'll talk uh, a little bit more about how uh, chapter 9 breaks out specifically. But uh, for now, you got a much deeper dive than I will ever have time to do on Sunday morning. All right. Good night, all.